It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Cold weather is here. Is your home's heating system ready? Lee's Heating and Air is now offering their winter furnace uh, checkup for only 59 bucks. Call Lee's Heating and Air today, 801-747-LEES or online at leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with Flex Lease now through December 26th. Visit a Sprint store nearest you. From the Bleacher Report, of course, Howard Beck with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Howard, what did you think about the fancy new production? Gentlemen, I was about to say, the whole fancy new, cool, awesomely produced intro, like, man, that's, uh, I feel special. It's great. We're kind of a big deal around here, you know? I mean, so we had to match that with some production. I, just, I, I hope I get a fancier introduction than, like, Mannix or any of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, we save our fanciest stuff for the great Howard Beck. You yes, know, and, and I will say this. This actually happened. Howard, Jake will be my witness. I was recently, like minutes ago, asked who uh, who are among our smartest guests uh, that we have, especially concerning the NBA, and I said your name. Didn't I, Jake? Oh, you did. I, I believe the guys. word you used was cerebral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you owe Howard work. money, Gordon? I don't know. No, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't owe him money. Bet, Gordon? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know, I, we're joking around a little bit, but I wanted to get your thought, uh, Howard, on uh, David Stern. And I haven't heard any update on what happened yesterday. He had a hemorrhage and underwent surgery. But I'd be curious to hear from you. Somebody that has covered the NBA over a long period of time when when he was involved with it. Your thoughts on his impact on the NBA and some thoughts about that. Yeah. Well, obviously, thoughts with David Stern and his family, and I don't have any new information on it. And certainly, uh, as as everybody else is, I'm I'm hoping that the next thing we hear is that he has – you know, come out of of surgery or whatever else they're needing to do and that he's, uh, you know – Making a full or on, on the way to a full recovery. That's that's what I'm hoping we hear next. Uh, I'm sure everybody feels the same. Um, you know, listen, it's interesting because I started covering the league in 1997, and Stern is this larger than life figure, and, and you know he's a commissioner from a different time, where a commissioner of a, of a league was a larger than life figure. He had this big personality, and obviously he could be combative, and uh, and and. You know, he has a swaggering way about him. If people, you know, there's all these these negative descriptions that people could give about him. But it was what made him who he was. He was a, a pit bull of a commissioner. And whether that was dealing with players in labor negotiations or in discipline, whether that was dealing with team owners and having to put them in their place, Mark Cuban uh, notably, many, many times, um, whether it was dealing with the media and trying to put us in our place. That that's the way that David uh, I don't want to say ruled this league. That's that's a, probably the wrong word, but that's the way he administered, supervised this league. And he could be really tough on the people around him at the league office too. All that said, it was all to a single end. He wanted to do what was best for the health and the growth of the NBA. And on that count, David Stern did an 
uh, just a phenomenal job and an objectively phenomenal job. Like, there's no way anybody can disagree. People might not have always liked the way he delivered his message or the way that he uh, managed or the way that he addressed people, whatever it may be. You, you're in that position. You're going to have just as much praise as criticism. But the results were undeniable. The league grew by leaps and bounds uh, domestically, internationally, um, it expanded by multiple teams into uh, into new markets. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, by franchises moving, um, but also uh, through expansion. And the league revenues grew, uh, you know, a zillion fold. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but you know, all the tributes that were written uh, several years ago when when Adam Silver uh, stepped in uh, and, and took that mantle from David Stern. You can you can find all of the 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 you know the laundry list of all the ways in which the, the NBA grew there. Um, but he absolutely, listen, he has the help of Magic and Bird and then Michael Jordan to put the league where it, 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 where it uh, eventually reached. But David's uh, business sense, his, his marketing savvy, his uh, aggressive personality, all of those things are, are, are why the NBA is the global powerhouse that it is. And... You know, on a personal note, you know, I mean, I started covering the league in 97, primarily Lakers at that time, and I was based in L.A., so I didn't have that many interactions with him. But he was intimidating. (laughs) And then eventually you kind of get to this point where you figure out, like, this is what he does. He likes to intimidate. He likes to bully. He wants to see how far he can push you. or Like, if you let him trample you, he will. And then when you you finally realize, oh, you know what, I, I can push back a little. And he actually likes it. He respects it. And that was my experience with him over, you know, you know, a couple decades of covering the league was that, you know, especially once I got to New York and was working for the New York Times, you know, David was a, a, a loyal reader and subscriber of the New York Times. And so when we had something right, wrong or otherwise, if he disagreed, um, it, it, it was that much more of, of, of an outrage to him because it was in the New York Times. And he liked to, to hang that over me. So anytime it was something that I did, say I made a mistake or say he just disagreed, it would always be, well, I expect better of the New York Times. And <laughs> I took that for what it was. It was both a smack across the head and, and uh, a compliment because he has that higher regard for the paper. But it was his way of kind of, of you know, trying to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, manipulate just a little bit. And, you know, again, I didn't mind it. I, I, I liked the combat with David. I, I found it, uh, it, it engaging and entertaining, and he's really super smart. And so you've got to be on your toes. And anytime we deal with people um, in our job who force us to stay on our toes and then be accountable and, and be able to back up everything that you've said or that you've asked, I, you know, it, it, it sharpens your edges as a journalist. And I, you know, I appreciated that. Howard switching gears to the jazz uh, over the next 20 games. They have the easiest uh, schedule in the league. On top of that, Howard, they do not have any back to backs. How useful is it? Uh, to have a schedule like that in front of them when they're a team that is still desperately trying to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, intuitively, you would say it's very, very useful, and I think that that's, in actuality, uh, I think that's true. I, you know, it's funny, even though the NBA has made great strides in the last several years in making the schedule a little less taxing by eliminating back-to-backs, not, not eliminating them entirely, but cutting them way back, eliminating four games in five nights, trying to, to build in more time between games, the fact is, teams I, 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 are, are, I feels like are practicing less than they ever have. 
Um, this is an opportunity, if Quinn Snyder chooses to, to do so, um, to maybe get in a little bit more practice time. Co- coaches in this league, and, and this has been the case for at least the last five years, are constantly complaining about how they just don't have enough time during the season. So when you get new players or when you get a player back from injury, uh, when you've had a lot of offseason changes, it's hard to get guys acclimated because they just don't practice enough. So that's an opportunity to practice and an opportunity to get healthy, um, if, if the games are spaced out a little bit more, and also just to not run guys down, obviously, if you don't have the back-to-backs. Uh, clearly, really important for them to get Mike Conley back healthy and in the lineup, and you know that that's a key here, too. And I do think that when you're playing lesser competition, it, it gives you a little bit more room for experimentation or a little less pressure on you to execute everything pr- exactly, precisely, every single possession. So maybe it gives them the wiggle room that they need with the new pieces that they've got and hopefully with Mike Conley rejoining them to kind of uh, you know, smooth out those rough edges and find that chemistry that they has kind of eluded them in the early parts of the season here. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a really critical stretch. And, and besides that, when you're supposed to be a top-tier team, you better be feasting on, on the bottom dwellers, right? Like we, we can all sit there and say, ah, well, it doesn't really matter much. They haven't beaten anybody in this stretch but it still matters that part of being a good team is consistently beating the bad teams. Howard, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. When the Jazz play well, the ball is moving, and that's a big part of what Quinn wants to get done. And obviously he's basing some of that on his personnel. And there are other teams that maybe don't do that as much. Uh, The Rockets might want to give the ball to James Harden. I know he gets some assists, but uh, let him take over and let him do what he wants to do. What kind of basketball do you appreciate watching? Yeah, I'm more of a ball movement guy. I mean, you know, listen – Every way of, of successful, efficient basketball is equally valid on some level, right? Like, uh, we're having this ongoing debate that's several years running about James Harden and the Rockets and, and the aesthetics of it all and whether people, you know, this guy's having this historic season and nobody really is talking about it because people just don't really like the way he plays. Um, listen, uh, this, is, this is not a popular take, but even back when we were in the ISO ball era, of the early 2000s and late 90s, and Allen Iverson was this just this phenomenon. Iverson was great to watch on a lot of levels because doing what he could do at his size and just the moves he could make, he was dazzling. He was entertaining. At the same time, my, my personal basketball preference was not that, and so I was never a huge Iverson guy. That's, again, an unpopular take, I know. But I, I didn't like iso ball. I've never really liked, liked iso ball. What James Harden is doing as kind of a solo artist is taking it up to all new heights and in a different way than we've ever seen before from Iverson or Kobe or Michael Jordan or anybody else who's been great as a one-on-one player. Harden has got his own uh, completely different template that he has created uh, out of thin air. And yes, it involves a lot of contact and a lot of misdirection and a lot of fouls and a lot of free throws and a lot of ball dominance. And, Hey, look, if you're the Rockets or you're a Rockets fan, you don't care. It's getting you wins. And he is, you know, stretching the game in all new directions. And I, I can appreciate it uh, intellectually without necessarily wanting to watch it. I prefer ball movement. I like, you know, the Spurs uh, of the, the mid-2010s and then the, certainly the team that beat the Heat in the finals. You know, they were all about ball movement. They didn't have elite-level talent at that time. Like, yes, they still had Parker Ginobili Duncan, but those guys were not – in their prime anymore, but they were 
a, just a phenomenal ball movement team. What Mike D'Antoni's son's teams did was spectacular. What the Warriors, you know, people can hate the Warriors all they want, you know, and, and, and I understand it, the backlash that, that came with it the last five years, but they played a beautiful brand of basketball, and that was undeniable. And so, yeah, that's, that's still my, my personal preference or, or bias and just in terms of the aesthetics of the game. But I also think that for most teams, it's also the most effective. And I think that the Rockets falling short consistently in the playoffs, people can fairly say that maybe that's showing the limitations of hero ball or you know, reliance too much on one guy. What percentage of the league do you think does rely and emphasize heavily ball movement? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I think probably most of it. Here's one of the, this is one of these funny things, though, Gordon, about the, the NBA and, and coaches. Every coach will say that that's what they want. Yeah. <laughs> They'll all talk about pace, ball movement, you know, player movement, uh, you know, all these things, and they'll, they'll preach that, but you can't get it out of everybody. And sometimes it's just about your personnel, too. Mike D'Antoni, and I wrote about this you know, a year or two ago, Mike D'Antoni did a complete 180 where he was always about the ball finds energy. That was his favorite phrase. And it, the, the point was, you know, move the ball and, and keep moving, and it'll, it'll find its way back to you, and you'll, you'll benefit eventually. And he was all about that. And then he becomes James Harden's coach, and they become the biggest ISO ball team in the NBA. I don't think that that's what Mike prefers in his heart, but I think, you know, as a coach, he just wants to win, and he knows that that's their best way of winning. At risk of uh, having this I- entire interview be about the Houston Rockets, uh, <laughs> it, it, the way James Harden is playing and how well he's playing in the production and, and uh, his usage rate and all of that, do we even know if the partnership with Russell Westbrook is working or not? No, that is a that is a fantastic question, um, because sometimes the record can mask these things, right? Like you can you can have a great record and still have you know bad chemistry or guys feuding. Like you know, obviously all those Shaq and Kobe years I covered, the record was great. They didn't change the fact that they you know Shaq and Kobe at times absolutely wanted to murder each other. Um, in the case of the Rockets, you know, different version of this, but they're sixteen and eight. They've been really good. They're a top-four team, but they're not in any way demonstrably better than they were last season. And Westbrook's still shooting terribly. Harden is, if anything, using even more possessions, I think. I have to double-check to see if his usage rate has gone up. Um, but he's even more ball-dominant, I think, and, and his, his scoring average has climbed again. So if, if the idea of getting Westbrook was a partnership – it's not really that. Russell Westbrook is just kind of another guy along for the ride on that team. And, I, 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 you know, when the trade was made, I was in Vegas for Summer League, and the word circulates, and I immediately start walking around Thomas and Mack because there's a zillion basketball people there, and you can't walk five feet without bumping into a scout or a coach or a GM. And so I immediately started doing the, 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 the insta-poll, basically, of are they significantly better, worse, or otherwise for this trade? And of the half dozen people I talked to in the immediate aftermath, the first reaction of everybody was, eh, they're about the same. And, and, and nobody really strongly felt that they had made a leap forward. And here we are, you know, a quarter of the way plus into the season. I feel like on balance, they're still the same team. What Westbrook has done is given them a great dimension 
in or, or a benefit in transition. So Harden can dominate the half court and Westbrook becomes a bystander, but if they really need to push the ball in transition, Westbrook is as devastating as there is in the league still uh, going end to end, and, and it's just unstoppable. So it's given them another dimension that yeah, and Chris Paul couldn't do that. So I don't know if we'll know until the end of the season or probably in the playoffs, and we'll see how far they go before we can really say whether this actually substantially changed them for the better. So, Howard, a related question to that, although it's slightly different, is the case of the Lakers. When you have LeBron and AD coming together the way they have, obviously that 22-3 and record is built on, to some extent, on sheer talent. How much of it is attitudinal, though? How much of it is being unselfish? How much of it is working together? Sorry, I got distracted there for a second. Um, say it again. How much of it is working together and how much of it is just built on the fact that the Lakers have two of the five best players in basketball? Yeah, no, similar premise, right? Um, you know, when you have that much talent, you know, you can do a, a lot wrong. You don't have to be that precise because you know that LeBron can always bail you out and AD uh, can, can always bail you out. And I think that there are plenty of examples of that where you watch their games sometimes and things break down and it's like, all right, fine, things broke down. Let's go to a quick pick and roll and boom, the next thing you know, Anthony Davis is slamming an alley-oop through the rim. Um, I, I, think, I think they're as good as their record suggests. I think there are some people who are still kind of holdouts on that based on either the uh, weakness of the schedule or just, hey, let's, let's see where they are a few months from now because of the pace that they're playing and LeBron's age and can they hold up? And those are fully, you know, rational caution flags. Um, I, again, like, like with a few other teams, I think, you know, we'll know more in April and May. But I think they're legit. They've, they're a much better defensive team than I think any of us thought they might be coming out of the gate. Credit Frank Vogel to a large extent. Credit, obviously, LeBron for setting the tone and, and, and kind of reclaiming that part of his game that, it, that had gone missing for a bit. But... Uh, I think they're genuinely great. I still don't think that their supporting cast is all that spectacular. I still like the Clippers as a whole better than the Lakers for their just kind of their one through eight, one through nine. But when the starting point is LeBron and AD, as long as they're healthy, it, it lifts up everybody. And you know, look, they're also getting great contributions from guys like Dwight Howard, who many of us had kind of written off a while ago. Howard, as always, thank you very, very much. Have a wonderful weekend. Appreciate it, fellas. You too. Take care. Thank you, Howard. Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report. Always can't miss radio every single Friday here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, breaking down the whole way a team functions and the best way for individual teams to function, that's fascinating yeah. to me. It really is. Well, I thought he had a, a pretty good line in there where he was talking about how every coach says they yeah. want to, to play with pace and move the ball. Now get out of the way and let Harden do his work. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, the funny thing is, uh, is, is Harden is, or excuse me, Westbrook is not having a good year. You hear, you heard Howard talk about it. His shooting is still, and I say still because they haven't been good, maybe ever, is still just dreadful. And I, I still don't think he is what that, that team needed to put it over the top. I mean, you heard Howard say, are they really better than they were last year? No. Even with Harden doing what he's doing, can you really say they're better than last year? No. So, so whether that gets advanced during the playoff season is is really the big question, right? See, and but it's, but the whole comparison with the Lakers, 
that's why I think LeBron's attitude about the whole thing it was is so important for them. The fact that he wants AD to look good. This isn't a competition between the two of them. Hey, I'm the I'm the straw that stirs the drink here. It's I'm going to try and help you look as good as you possibly can. We we've talked about this for the first time in his career. LeBron has to kiss somebody's butt. AD could leave after this year. He could he he is not signed with the Lakers next year. I think it's more than just has to though. I think he wants to. Well, maybe he's matured he some too, but to kiss his butt, but he wants to he wants to make him feel as comfortable as important as possible. Right, cuz for the first time in his career, he has a player who he can't say, "Well, you don't like it. Hit the bricks." <laughs> He could do that to anybody else, literally, even Dwayne Wade back in the Miami days. You don't like it, Dwayne? Well, get packing. <laughs> For the first time in You're his career, replaceable. he can't do AD that. AD isn't. 